We're at commandment number three. I'll just read that out to you and then I'll pray. Exodus 20 verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That's where we're at today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's living, it's active, it has the power to change us. And right now, oh God, we take ourselves and we place ourselves beneath the authority of your word. God, we won't set ourselves above your word as judges or critics, but instead we will place ourselves beneath the authority of God's inspired word. And we humbly ask, oh God, that you use it to transform us into your image in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. I gave my life to Christ when I was 18. And you need to understand that my personality is that I am an all-in sort of person. If I set my heart to something, I am going to do it with my whole heart. When I jump in the pool, I'm not walking down the stairs. I don't understand people who walk down the stairs. I'm going straight to the deep end and I am jumping straight in because that's my personality. I don't do things by halves. It's sometimes a problem, I have to admit. I don't do things. I'm an all-in sort of person. And so when I gave my life to Christ, that's what I was like. Like I gave my heart to Christ and I was there Sunday morning, Sunday night for every small group, for every prayer meeting, for youth group on Friday. You asked my mom, I was there 24-7. And I was very zealous about getting my life and lining it up with the Word of God. And this scripture in particular really challenged me. Because in my adolescent and young in the Lord mind, I took that scripture not to take the Lord's name in vain as meaning that I could no longer use the exclamation, oh my God. That's solely how I understood this verse. But I was very used to and trained in saying, oh my God, as an exclamation. But I was so intense about it. So intense about the fact that I needed to get over this that I distinctly remember sitting in a university lecture one day, not listening to the lecturer at all, but doodling, oh my goodness, because I was swapping out God for goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, over and over again, because I was trying to retrain my mind out of saying, oh my God, and into saying, oh my goodness. But I remember as a young Christian thinking to myself, Why is this so important to God? Why is it so important that I don't use his name as slang or as an exclamation? And I was thinking about the context of the Ten Commandments. I was thinking about the fact that we've covered things like don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie. And I remember thinking, God, this one doesn't seem as much of a heavy hitter. And yes, yet it's in number three. What's so important about the way we misuse our name? And what your name, and what I want to suggest to you this morning is not that we all of a sudden start taking the Lord's name in vain and start saying, Oh my God, that's not what I'm suggesting. What I'm suggesting is that is a very narrow interpretation of what this passage really means. And I want to show you by taking you to the text and looking at it a little bit in Hebrew. Let's remind ourselves Exodus 27 You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So that word take is the Hebrew nasa. It is most often translated in the Hebrew scriptures to lift up, to bear, or to carry. That's a better rendering of this verse. And so actually, you could read this verse, I think it's on the screens, in this way. You must not bear or carry the name of Yahweh, which is the sacred name of God, uh, the name of Yahweh your God in vain, for Yahweh will not hold guiltless one who bears or carries his name. 
Now, to English translators, to bear or to carry a name didn't make sense. Because to bear or to carry a name, a name is not a physical thing that they perceived could be born or carried. Names are spoken. And so they translated instead with the word take. And that's why we have interpreted this passage as verbal misuse or vocal misuse of the name, the Lord, your God. But actually, I think there is a wider interpretation. And what I want to do is I want to take you to two Two passages, one preceding Exodus 20 and one subsequent to it. And they're going to give us the essential ingredient for all good biblical interpretation, context. So let's look at the context of this passage. Firstly, in Exodus 19. Now you've heard me speak from this platform about Exodus 19 a lot. It's hard to overstate the importance of Exodus 19 in the biblical narrative. It's the climax of the story of the deliverance of the Israelites. They've been in Egypt. They've been enslaved. They've been crying out to God for a savior. God raises up Moses, this new leader. He comes and he confronts Pharaoh. There's this incredible battle with these numerous plagues and then the parting of the Red Sea. But the whole point of that story is for Israel to be brought to the presence of God himself, to Mount Sinai, where God says, I'm going to make you my own. This is the climax of the Israelite Exodus narrative. And this is what it says in Exodus 19, verse 3 to 6. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountains, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You've seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Note that he's bringing them to himself because he's a relational God. He's not bringing them to a mountain. He's bringing them to himself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandments, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And he says to Moses, these are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. You need to note that this is an act of pure grace on the part of God. He has chosen Israel. He has delivered Israel. He has brought them to himself, made them his own through absolutely nothing they have done. Never once in this narrative does it say that God looked out on the earth and found a people worthy of carrying his name. Never once in the narrative does it say that the Israelites behaved so well as slaves in Egypt that God designed to rescue them. Never. No, he chose Abraham and from his family made a nation that we call Israel. They were chosen, called and delivered all by the grace of God. Nothing else. And now they have a decision. If they respond to his grace with faith, they will be given a whole new identity as a kingdom of priests. This word priests is what provides us with the key understanding to the passage about bearing God's name. And so let's flip forward to the second passage found in Exodus 28. This is about what the priests were called to wear. You see, the nation of Israel were called to be a kingdom of priests, but they also had priests within the nation who represented God to the nation of Israel. And the priests had an elaborate outfit 
They had a uniform to wear. If you were going to do the job of a priest, this is what you needed to wear. In the same way, if you're going to be an all black, you got to wear all black, right? The priests had a uniform that they wore. And the centerpiece of this uniform was an apron or a breastplate, which was inlaid with precious jewels that represented the 12 tribes of Israel, Exodus 28 to 29. Whenever Aaron enters the holy place, here it is, he will bear the names of the sons of Israel over his heart on the breastplate of decision as a continuing memorial before the Lord. That word bear is the Hebrew word nasar. He is bearing the name of the children of Israel as he stands before the presence of God. Let's move on. Uh, it also says that the priests would have upon their head a medallion and this medallion would be inscribed. This is what it says in Exodus 28:36. make a plate of pure gold and engrave it on it as a seal, holy and belonging to, I've added that because that's in the Hebrew, but it's not often in your text. Make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it as a seal, holy and belonging to the Lord. See, here you have the priest who is symbolically bearing the names of the nation of Israel on his chest and bearing the name of Yahweh on his head. Whenever he goes into the presence of God, he goes as a representative of the people to God and a representative of God to the people. Now, what this is giving us is it is giving us a prophetic picture and a symbolic picture of who the nations of Israel, the nation of Israel were meant to be. Just as the priest represented God to the nation of Israel, so Israel was meant to represent God to the nations of the world. This is what it means to bear the name of the Lord. It means to ask yourself the question, do I represent God well? Am I representing God to the world around me? Am I a kingdom of priests, right? Are we a holy nation? Are we a light to the nations? Do we represent God well? You see, friend, this is one of the crucial things to understand about the Ten Commandments and actually about the law in general. The law was not about becoming God's people. The law wasn't a road to become God's people. Friend, Jesus is the road. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. We are not saved, come on somebody, by our good works or our obedience. God in grace extends to us the invitation to be His in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ, and His death and resurrection on the cross. The moment that we respond in faith and say, yes, Lord, we become His people. We are His special possession. We are a kingdom of priests. Obedience isn't about our salvation. Obedience is about our mission. Obedience isn't about our salvation. Obedience is about our mission. It's about how we be a light to the nations. It's about how we bear His name. It's about how we represent God well, about how we live as a kingdom of priests. And right from God's call of Abraham, it's evident that God calls his people in order to bless those around them. 
Genesis 12, verse 1 to 3, the Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I'll show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great. Here it is. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed by you. This is the mandate of the kingdom people of God. Yes, we're blessed. Yes, we're favored. But the purpose of our blessing and favor is to be a blessing, is to be a light to the nations around us. Remember I said earlier that Abraham's family was what became the nation of Israel. You need to see from the scripture that Israel was never meant to be an end to themselves. The people of God were always meant to be a vehicle, a conduit of blessing to the world around them. That is our purpose. See, can you imagine the Exodus events, the 10 plagues, the parting of the Red Sea has placed this nation of Israel on a stage. All the nations of the world have their eyes on Israel. And so will they bear his name well? Will they represent him well? Like a city on a hill, will we bear his name well? Will we represent him well? See, to bear God's name simply means that if I'm going to take his name, I need to represent him in the way that I live. To take his name in vain is to say that we belong to him, but fail to represent him in the way that we live. And actually, the world has a word for this. And it's the word and the accusation that is most leveled at the Christian church. And that word is hypocrisy. Isn't it? Being a hypocrite is when we say we are one thing and act like we're another. And doing that destroys our witness to the nations, doesn't it? Nothing destroys our witness to the nations more than bearing God's name in vain. See, it's funny, when you work for a church, uh, you get very interesting responses when people ask you what you do for a living. People basically take it as an invitation to tell you their experiences, their perceptions, their understandings of church, and sometimes that goes real well, and sometimes it goes another way, you know. But it's an amazing opportunity. But do you know one of the things, and you guys will know this as well, the thing that you find off most often if you invite someone to church and they say they don't want to come or they say, oh, I don't want anything to do with the church, you know the, the reason, number one reason why they don't want to, they say, oh, church, is a, church people are hypocritical. Is that not the number one reason why people don't want to step foot in this church or in our church or in the church around the world? That's, that's what it is, eh? And the thing I find interesting is actually people today in 2022 are just repeating what God said a thousand, thousands of years ago in Exodus 20 when he said, my people must not bear the name of the Lord in vain. Let's put it real straight. If you're going to call yourself a Christian, act like one. I have to say this, not many churches would applaud after someone said that, eh? You guys are a special people. <laughs> when I wrote that, I thought, oh, how will that go over? <laughs> or you might be saying, well, how do we represent God? How do we, you guys really are the best. How do we, how do we not bear the name of the Lord in vain? And actually, you know, that's, uh, 
That's what we've been doing the last seven weeks. That's what we've been talking about. All these commandments we've been going through have been teaching us how to not take the Lord's name, how to not bear the Lord's name in vain. And we're going to finish this series in a couple of weeks, and it's going to be awesome. But I just want to say that the first five commandments are all to do with your worship of God. And if you're wondering why I said five, I would really like to explain it. So please come up after the service to ask me, but I don't have time to do it right now. But the first five concern your worship of God, and the second five concern your love and protection of your brother. Have you ever found it fascinating that when it says do not murder, it is saying it is your job to protect your brother's right to life. When it says do not steal, it's saying it's your job to protect your brother's right to property. When it's saying don't commit adultery, it's saying that it's our job to protect the marriages of our brothers and sisters. Come on, somebody. This is a bill of rights. It's a bill of freedom. And it says the responsibility to protect the freedom of your brother lies on you. The Ten Commandments are not about us protecting ourselves. The Ten Commandments are about protecting our brothers and sisters in Christ. Protect your brother's reputation by not lying on him. Come on, somebody. That's what the Ten Commandments is all about. That's what it means to live like representatives of God. It means to obey these Ten Commandments. And when we fall, we find ourselves back at the feet of Jesus. Because remember that the law is our teacher, which takes us to the feet of Jesus and inspires our faith. And so it's our job to do our best to embody these ten, to bear His name. And when we fail, go running back to the feet of Jesus, where we belong. So I'm going to get the band to join me because I'm getting too excited and I need someone to calm me all the way down, okay? (laughs) I'll give you some practical points and then we'll wrap up and we'll pray and it'll be awesome, okay? You can all go home and yep. So here's some practical ideas of, of how we apply this message. A couple of questions you could ask yourself. Firstly, ask yourself, whose name does my life bear? Whose name does my life bear? When you analyze your lifestyle, whose name does it point to? You know, for many years before I was saved, I know that the name my life pointed to was my own. I basically became a Christian on the revelation that I was totally living for my own glory, totally living for my own fame. And if I was to spend my entire life like that, then honestly, how influential would my life ever be? To live a life for self is a very small life. So if you look at your lifestyle, does it point to your name? Perhaps it points to your family name. Do you bear your family name? Do you not make a second thought about transgressing the values of God's kingdom in order to preserve the honor of your family. Because if you do, friend, you're living for the name, the fame of your family. You're not living for the name of the Lord. Or perhaps you live, you work for your company's name, and you find that the culture of your company in you transgresses or overcomes the culture of heaven. Friend, if that's the case, you're living for fame of of an organization, a company that, friend, is not going to defend you the same way you're trying to defend it. Perhaps you're living for the name of your spouse and you find that, or your partner, and you find that all of your decisions and your values are built around ensuring that they don't leave you behind. Friend, you're not bearing God's name, you're bearing theirs. Whose name are you bearing this morning? Because it's our job as the people of God to bear the name of God. If we don't do it, no one will. If we don't show him to the nations, no one will. And so whose bearing, whose name is your life bearing? You know, I like to think that lifestyle is an amplification of identity. 
Lifestyle is an amplification of identity. You know, every Sunday our musicians come and they plug instruments into the sound system. They sing into microphones. And really the truth is they don't need it. (laughs) Just joking. (laughs) You guys are awesome. Because they play like, have you ever noticed how our worship team play like this is an arena? They play not as we are, but who we're going to be, you know? I love that about you guys. But they plug their things into the sound system and, and it amplifies their sound. And in the same way, your lifestyle is an amplification of your identity. If you want to look at who someone is, you look at how they live because your lifestyle amplifies your identity. And actually, this is an enormously freeing principle because it means that if you're in this place and you have found this message hard-hitting, you feel like conflicted or convicted that you're perhaps not bearing the name of the Lord in the way that you should. I mean, this is an enormously freeing principle because if you're struggling to bear his name, the question you need to ask yourself is, who do I believe I belong to? Because bearing begins with belonging. Notice that before Exodus 20 is Exodus 19, deep teaching. Thank you. (laughs) You know, and we're, thank you, very insightful, yes. (laughs) You know, it's amazing because if Exodus 20 is where God tells us to bear his name, Exodus 19 says, you're my special possession. You belong to me. You belong to me. See, bearing his name begins with knowing that you belong to him. Did you know today that you are his treasured possession? You're the apple of his eye. You were an idea in the heart of God that he loved enough to breathe into being. He is the lover of your soul. You were created to have his love lavished upon you. Do you know today that you belong to him? Because bearing his name begins with knowing that you belong that you are his treasured possession, that we are a kingdom of priests, that together we are a holy nation who will represent our God to the nations of the world. With every eye closed and every head bowed. Perhaps you're here today and you need to make the decision to belong to Jesus. And there's some of you in this place and you've been coming on and off. And today is the day of decision. Corinthians tells us that now is the day of salvation. Let me encourage you that today is your day. God loves you. He called you. He has pursued you with all of his love, all of his affection, and brought you here today. You were created for life and peace, for relationship with God. You don't have it now. Why? Well, the Bible talks about sin. Sin separates us from God. It's our decision to go our own way, but God loves us too much to leave us where we were So he sent his son, Jesus. Jesus, who knew no sin, died a sinner's death so that you and I could be the people in relationship with God that we were created to be. All you need to do is say, Jesus, I make you Lord of my life and I turn from my sin. And so if you want to make that decision today, I'm going to count to three. And at the end of that, I encourage you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Thank you. God bless you. I see that hand. Is there anyone else today you want to make that decision to make Jesus your Lord and Savior? Awesome. Thank you. God bless you. I see that hand. Awesome. Praise God.
Church, repeat this prayer after me. Say, dear Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Today, I give my life to Jesus, holding nothing back. I turn from sin. I follow you. Thanks to you, I'm free. In Jesus' name, amen.